From Murphy to Mancio, extraordinary athletes, coaches, administrators, and contributors have impacted the North Carolina sports landscape. For some, their talents left an indelible mark. So much so, they are enshrined in the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. It's time to chat with one of those Hall of Famers who dared to be as tall and stately as our Longleaf Pines. Here is your host of 15 Minutes of Fame, Chris Edwards. Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fame. I'm Chris Edwards. Today on the podcast, Dr. Jerry McGee, one of the best college football officials in the game's history. Dr. McGee worked 24 different postseason games, including three games that determined the national champion. We'll talk about his officiating career and his time as the president of Wingate University. All that coming up on the podcast with a 2015 inductee of the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, Dr. Jerry McGee. Dr. McGee, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. It's a great honor to be here and to be a part of this great group. Take me through kind of growing up and playing baseball and, and where your love of athletics began. Yeah, I, I grew up in, a, in a, a great era for baseball. You know, every community every community that around my town had a men's team, they had a boys' team, and you knew you had arrived when the men's team asked you to start coming to practice with them and play with them a little bit. So when I was like 13, I was playing on the men's team and, and uh, I got introduced to a, to the hard slider pretty often, pretty early in my career, but it, but every textile mill had a team. Uh, there was a, 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 a Negro leagues team in Rockingham. There was a minor league team in Rockingham. It, it just was a great time to, to be a baseball guy. And, um, uh, Rockingham was more of a football town, but, but I was a baseball guy. I, I played a little bit of football, a little bit of basketball, but I really was a baseball guy. But but I, <laughs> my high school coach, Bill Usler, who was in everybody's Hall of Fame, uh, uh, he called me in one day and he said, uh, Jerry, I've decided that I'm going to put a junior high football team at every junior high in the area. So that when the kids come to the high school, they've already been introduced to our defense and to our offense, and they'll be ready to go. And I said, well, that's a great idea. And he threw me four striped shirts and, and said, you're in charge of the officials. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, all I know is that you kick off and, and, and what a touchdown is. He said, well, you know, you know more than most guys. So you get, you get some more guys, you recruit them. You can have one official in each game. We're going to pay you $5 a game. So, uh, so off we went and, uh, and, and, start, and started officiating football. So that's where it all started for you. Because I was going, my next question was, where did you start uh, learning to officiate and loving officiating? And that's the answer. That's exactly right. And uh, uh, but, but, you know, when you get a junior high program that's just starting and uh, somebody's dad is the coach and, you know, the, whatever equipment they got is some of the Rockingham High School guys passed down, shoulder pads are half broken and no bars on the helmets. And, you know, things happened there that didn't, didn't happen in the Clemson, uh, South Carolina game. Like uh, a, a kid punts and another kid catches a punt and instead of running the back, he kicks it back. Oh, my God, what, what do we do here? But but we learned a lot and we had a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, and then, of course, that led to doing a junior high and, in high school games, and then um, forced to move up from there. Where, where, where did for you was there a moment when you thought, "Man, I'm pretty good at this officiating thing. Maybe I can go do it at a colleg- the collegiate level." Was there a moment when, when you thought, "Hey, I'm going to take this and run with it"? 
Well, there actually was a was a moment somebody else felt that way about me. I think I I, I was perfectly happy doing usually a junior high game on Wednesday, a JV game on Thursday night, and a varsity game varsity game on Friday. And I was pretty happy doing that. My wife was trying to finish her degree, and so I was, this was really best raising tuition money for her. And uh, but we had a local guy that was in the in the latter years of his collegiate officiating career, uh, Alan Gaddy. And he he loved me and and he just encouraged me all all along. And he started by saying, uh, why don't you go with me to a game or two? I'd like for you to meet some of the other college officials. And so I I did that a few Saturdays. And then he one one year he said, I want you to go with me to the collegiate officials rules clinic this year. And I so I said, sure, I'll go. Well, I got there and found out they weren't expecting me. They, the, the, who was who was this guy? You know, <laughs> and, and Mr. Gaddy said, "Well, you guys need to get to know him because he's going to be a collegiate official." And I'm like, "Oh, I am." And uh, and and they kind of embraced me. And the, one year they gave me two games, and I didn't screw those up. So the next year I got five games, and I didn't screw those up. So then I got started getting a full schedule, and uh, and then got a few coaches that I had known through the small college ranks wound up in the coaching in Division One, like Red Wilson went from Elon to to to, uh, to Duke and people like that, and they started asking why I wasn't officiating the ACC. And the supervisor said, "Well, I don't even know this guy." And I said, "Well, you need to get to know him." And and so you know, they just encouraged them to to give me a chance, and uh, and pretty soon I got got invited to the do a couple of ACC games and then moved up from there. But it was, you got to work hard, but you got to get a little lucky. And somebody's got to believe in you, you know, and encourage you and support you. So yeah, I, I was blessed. Well, it, it turned out to be okay. You worked 24 different postseason games, the first ACC football championship, two Army-Navy games, 20 bowl games, which included the Orange Bowl, the Fiesta, the Cotton, the Peach, the Holiday Bowl, two Rose Bowls, a couple Gator Bowls, a couple Citrus Bowls, and three games that determine the national championship. I'm sure it's hard to pick one or two games, but can you give us a moment or a memory, Jerry, that stands out when you think back on all those postseason games? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I always uh, took the phone numbers of some of the officials that had really encouraged me when I was younger, and I always had my high school coach's phone number, and and very often I'd call them from the 50-yard line of the Rose Bowl and just say hello, and that's all. Shouldn't you be getting ready to officiate? And I said, well, I've been getting ready to do this game for 20 years. I'm good. But you want to share the, those moments are so special. You want to share them with, with people that helped you along the way. And I always try to do that. But but I think when I, when I got the first, uh, my first bowl game, back in those days, there were, there were only 14 bowl games in America. Mm-hmm. There were six officials at each game. So 84 football officials in America got a bowl game. So it was a really big deal. Uh, this year, 460 guys got a bowl game. Well, so and 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 I'm, I'm I'm happy for them, but it's uh it just wasn't the same as, as when there was only a, a handful of bowls. And the first Army Navy game was on the 50th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and that was a big day and, and a big celebration. And uh, Standing on the sideline that day, it was uh, with 14 admirals from the Navy. It, it, was, it was a pretty cool deal, and uh, I, I kind of, again, felt 
very blessed to, to, be, to be there. Uh, football officiating, not just a one-person job, obviously. It's a crew. It's a family. I'm sure it's like a brotherhood. For, for the people who maybe don't know what all goes into getting ready for a football game and trusting each other, can you peel back the curtain a little bit and, and talk about how you all work together as a crew to adjudicate the game? Yeah, certainly. Uh, we we would arrive by 6 p.m. on Friday evening, and uh, we'd go immediately to, to watch film. And we would have some notes from our previous game, uh, some plays, maybe three or four plays we wanted us to look at and and explain what we had called and why we had called it the way we did. And uh, so that would usually take about an hour and a half, and we'd have a little rules discussion. They would usually send us a few complicated rules, questions to, to talk about as a crew. And the whole idea was to move you from being a real estate agent all week to be at a football official. And that Friday night really did it for me, I think, and uh, kind of switched the college president light off and switched the college football fishing light on. And and then on uh, Saturday, we'd arrive at the stadium at, at least three hours before the game. And uh, we'd have about an hour, hour and a half session there. We'd talk about somebody would be assigned to talk about passing interference. Somebody else would be assigned to talk about uh, kicks, what might happen on kicks, and very thought-provoking questions about the game as it might play out. Then we got on the field at least an hour before the game, kind of watched the, the warm-ups and said our hellos to the coaches and the and all the support people that were so important to us because you know, it's not just the now eight guys on the field officiating. You know, it's the chain crew. It's the guys getting the balls to you, the, the, the ball boys or ball girls on the sideline. It's, it's people – taking care of you and bringing you Gatorade during timeouts is people keeping the, the penalty sheets for us. And there's eight of us on the field, but there's probably 25 people involved officiating the game. So, and I always try to acknowledge them and let them know that we, we value their, their work. You said saying hello to the coaches. So I'm curious, what, what was your best interaction with a coach uh, during your time officiating? Kind of a funny thing. Uh, my son actually worked for Johnny Majors at, when he was at the University of Tennessee, did a lot of filming for him and spent a lot of time on the tower with him at practices. And they became pretty good friends. And so when I went to the Big East to officiate, there was Johnny Major officiating, uh, coaching at Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> we're funny, we were, we were at Ohio State one day, and this was back when coaches would try anything to try to get an advantage. And, and they were not stopping Ohio State. They were just getting pronounced pretty good. And Johnny started up when it was a kick, obviously punting down. He would keep his team on the field to the last minute to try to run the team off, run the kickers on to catch Ohio State with too many people on defense. <laughs> well, we thought that was a that was an unfair advantage. So we we kind of, unless it was very obvious, we just kind of ignored the guys getting off the field. And so Johnny's after that, and he said, Jerry, there was 12 guys out there. I know Ohio State had 12 guys on the field. I said, Coach, I don't play. I don't think so. But I said, I, I think it was 11. He said, Jerry, I'm telling you, there was 12. He said, I you got another one of our games this year? I said, yeah, in about three weeks, I'm coming to Pittsburgh. And he said, we'll talk about it then. I said, fine. So as soon as I get on the field, here you come. Jerry, 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 did you look at the film? Of course I looked at the film, Coach. Okay, on that punt, there was 11 guys. With I said, no, sir, Coach. There were 14. <laughs> and of course, he just laughed and he said, "You're not going to call it, are you?" I said, "No, sir, we're not going to call it." And of course, they changed the rules a little later, so when you can't you can't take an unfair advantage like that. But but most of the time, I had so much respect for those coaches 
they worked so hard and they were so dedicated to their players and the, the families of their assistant coaches, that sort of thing. That I, I really wanted to, to give them the best that I had as an official because they were giving the best they had, their players giving the best they had, and we needed to be prepared and we needed to understand that we're out here having a good time and picking up a few, few extra bucks, but this is livelihood. And we, I, I just had so much respect for all of them. And I, I had a little, little uh, extended conversation with a few of them over the years, but most of the time I just listened and, and tried to be a uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your actual job as the president of of Wingate (laughs) University for so many years. Tremendous career as a school president. You're also a member of the NCAA President's Council, two-time chair of the National Football Committee. How important was it for you to blend your love of education and Wingate along with football to make it a better experience for everybody involved? Well, in my earlier years working in development at small colleges at Gardner-Webb and later at Furman, I had the advantage of watching a lot of film. I was a big mechanics guy. Mm-hmm. I felt like if you got, if you were where you were supposed to be on the play, you had a great chance of getting the call right because your judgment's pretty good or you wouldn't have gotten that far along. But when you get in trouble, it's when, you, when your mechanics get a little fouled up or somebody slides under you and you have to jump over when you're five yards behind the runner and that sort of thing. But watching that film early on was, was very, very helpful to me. And then when I was president, of course, I missed all the Wingate games because I was I was at Notre Dame or I was at uh, Pittsburgh or somewhere. So I try to go by practice at least once every couple of weeks and just see the guys and let them know that I was around. Of course, they loved kidding me about different things I'd call and that kind of thing. But seeing seeing those coaches and those players, I had to pass right by the practice field driving home every day. And if it was 35 degrees, they were out there working. If it was 98 degrees, they were out there working. If it was pouring rain, they were out there working. And I thought maybe I didn't want to get up and go run one morning at 630. And I would think, you know what? Those little boys are going to be out there practicing this afternoon. They're trying to get ready for the game, and I owe it to them to, to give them my best. And so I, I think it gave me a little better perspective. And, uh, and and I think that my involvement with the NCAA, I probably earned me a little bit more respect from, uh, from the coaches than, than maybe I would have had otherwise. Uh, during your time as the president of Wingate, you added six varsity sports, constructed eight major athletic facilities, had a ton of success on the field and in the classroom. What's your proudest accomplishment athletically as the president at Wingate? Yeah, I think the fact that uh, every year I was president, our varsity athletes had a higher academic average than our non-athletes. And I think that says a lot about the, the caliber of parents that were sending kids to Wingate, I think that they had their priorities right. And I felt like, you know, they could have gone anywhere in school that where they wanted to go. And, and the fact they chose Wingate was, was very special. And uh, every year I would say, if we want to build a new athletic facility or start a new program, my argument was uh, our athletes are our best students. Why wouldn't I want more? You know, I, I want more good students. And uh, it always proved to us to, to work out that way. I'll let you go with this thought. You, you've accomplished so much as an official, as an educator, as an administrator. For someone who wants to be successful in life and whatever avenue it is, what's your biggest key to being a successful person in life? I, I really think it's it's facing the moment. Uh, it's, you, you've always got to have a long-term plan and you've always got to be planning for a future but I always tell young people, if you want my job, the best thing you can do is do your job very well. And then you get another job, do that very well. And somewhere, maybe someday you'll wind up doing what I'm doing. But 
But I think that facing the moment and taking on the challenges in front of you without worrying too much about what's going to happen in 30 years, we'll get you there quicker. That's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much for your time and all that you do for the Hall of Fame. Thanks. I'm always honored. Great to have Dr. McGee on the podcast to talk about his phenomenal career. And great to have you with us, as always, on 15 Minutes of Fame. Until next time, I'm Chris Edwards. Thanks for listening.